Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to England and Europe. And welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on Mother's Day, 2011. Today is May 8th, Sunday. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms everywhere. As I was saying in my comments before we began the recorder for the podcast, uh, happy Mother's Day to the mother we all share, Mother Earth or Gaia, the mineral kingdom, the material kingdom, Mater, that supports all life. Happy Mother's Day to Mother Earth, to Gaia, as well as to your mom and her mom and every mom that ever made the sacrifices necessary to be a mom. And Dad, we'll catch up with you next month. Okay, happy Mother's Day 2011. Our topic for the day today is too much thinking, TMT, like TMI, right? Too much information. And the whole problem of feeling driven or prodded by your thoughts is if your thoughts are hurting us, we're the sheep. <laughs> or you've heard of the phrase herding cats. It's sort of like that. We don't like to be herded. Yet thoughts will do that. It's like there's a thought prod that says, over here, now over here. And then we get poked and prodded and, and driven by TMT, too much thinking. So it's not only a problem with a lot of thoughts going on in our heads at the same time. It's like, who's in charge? Who's driving the car here? Uh, who's the boss of whom? And, of course, the more stressed and anxious, the more fearful and nervous and apprehensive that we become. The more thoughts we are likely to have demanding our attention at any given moment, and the less likely the thoughts are to seem like servants, and the more they seem to be our masters. You don't have to do what you think. You see, you're not really those thoughts. This is the most important part of the whole class today, and I'm going to lead with it. I'm going to open with it. You don't have to believe everything that you think. Now, again, that'll set you a little out of balance sometimes, rock you back on your heels. At least it's intended to. I hope it does. I hope you find that a little bit unsettling. What does he mean? I don't have to do what my thoughts have decided I should do. What does he mean? I don't even have to believe what my thoughts are telling me. With cooperation and support from my emotional nature, my feelings as well, I don't have to do what my thoughts tell me to do. I don't have to believe what I think I believe. What's Michael saying? I'm saying you're more than your thoughts. You're more than your emotional feelings. You are, or at least can learn to be aware of yourself as awareness itself. To be aware of the thought process to be aware of, wait a minute, there's another way to look at this. Or 
on second thought, wait a minute. Or if there's an argument going on, you got the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder, right? Or maybe that's more neutral than that. You just got two or three or four ideas that are competing for your attention. Well, like, how could you possibly be your thoughts if your thoughts are arguing with each other? And where do you go to learn this? Fortunately, you have the wisdom to come to the wisdom school, to the mystery school. Mystery schools, you know, are thousands and thousands of years old. They go back in, well, gosh, Western civilization, at least 2,500 years to Pythagoras. But the whole idea of mystery schools for philosophers, for men and women who ask themselves the great existential questions. Um, they've always had their teachers, their gurus, their mystics. Um, in my case, they're journalists who ask the kinds of questions that need to be asked about basically who are we, why are we here, what are we for, why do we think and feel and act the way we do, that's what the Mystery School is about. This live webinar, every Sunday afternoon, again, it's morning here in Hawaii, it's evening in Europe, but every Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock West Coast time, we do the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School as a public service of focusedpassion.com. We have sister websites. Uh, theagelesswisdom.com is my personal site. And then with my business partner of more than three decades, Steve Snyder, we have a sister website at focusedpassion.com. And that's where we provide a premium personal development audio program every week for the uh, back breaking price of 99 cents when you subscribe. The programs in our archives are 4.95, but you get an 80% discount when you subscribe for 99 cents. And I like to begin these free webinars with a three-minute clip, or we're about three and a half minutes, I think, today, uh, a short little clip from the past program the show that we did last week, which at FocusedPassion.com was a program called Your Higher Self. And I really enjoyed it. It was one of my favorite programs in a long time. I like all of them. We don't podcast them out. We don't, <laughs> we're not happy with them. So having said that, this was nevertheless one of my favorites. And in this short little clip I'm going to play for you here, I think about three and a half minutes, you're going to hear Steve and I talk about this other self, this more refined, higher self. And I'd like to give you a little taste of it. it it's a studio-quality program, a conversation, uh, usually 40 to 50 minutes with a guided imagery and a visualization process included. Because this program is done live by telephone, it may not sound studio quality to you um, over the web or over the telephone. 
because I'm on the phone and I'm sending this down phone lines. So it's going to be a little bit filtered and not quite the quality that you'll get if you subscribe for 99 cents, 3.96 a month. But I don't know. I'd like to give you a little taste of, you know, the primary program here that supports everything that we do. This free class every Sunday, the social net site, which is theagelesswisdom.ning.com, and the newsletter and all the other services we provide. So let me go over here to the audio section and bring up the sound bites. And here's just a little taste of this week's premium audio program from focusedpassion.com. This is Steve and me talking about your higher self. I also like the idea of reflecting upon things, you know, to ponder, to contemplate, to introspect, to never blurt. <laughs> you know, really, that's what the higher consciousness never blurts. It considers, it observes, it weighs it, you know, and it doesn't judge it or control it. It just gets it, it grocks it, it understands it, you know. And so it, what's coming out after the higher consciousness speaks to you is, well, dare I say, what we call wisdom. Exactly. So this is sort of the man in the mirror. Are you the primary image or are you simply a reflection of yourself? Now, imagine what a tragedy if you spent your entire life believing that you are what it turns out to be merely a reflection of the true self. And that's what the ego is. It's a character. It's a role that you play. It's made up largely of our fears, our fears that we're not good enough are usually reflected in our petitioning other people for acceptance and approval and trying to please those same people. Now, a lot of that comes from altruism, but also a lot of it is I want the payback of making you happy. I want you then to love me and accept me because I'm not sure I'm all that lovable. I, I <laughs> Have you ever asked someone who loves you, hey, by the way, what's so lovable about me anyway? Because I'm really not sure. Maybe you haven't reflected enough on what's lovable about you. And maybe if you took a look at those fears like the fear of inadequacy, that you're really not enough, maybe you'd find that they're not very well-founded, that what they represent, all of your fears, is merely what you don't yet know about yourself. Yeah, that really that all the rustling bushes are tigers, you know, that, that, that anything that I don't understand might be dangerous. And in my ancestors, you know, if it might be dangerous, I better act as if it's dangerous, because if it is a tiger, I don't live very long. So... Today, in a world we live in that's not really dangerous anymore, although it's incredibly confusing, we have a lot of rustling bushes. We have a lot of times when it feels like bad things could happen around us, and the media makes it feel like everything that bad happens happens right around us. So we have this feeling, and, and the ego part of us wants to protect us from danger. Its basic job is survival. So it looks at all these things that seem dangerous. They're not really, but they're confusing, and they're overwhelming. And, and so the ego mind takes over and says, move away from that, move away from that, move away from that, and, and keeps us safe. You know, and, and it thinks it's doing the job of keeping us safe by making sure we're nervous 
nervous and anxious and confused. You know, some people are afraid to let down and feel safe because then something will get them. The only way they feel safe is to be anxious and nervous and on the alert. All It's sort of a paradox. So the ego says, stay, you know, paying attention to everything. You know, pay attention to anything that could be dangerous out there. Keep your eyes open kind of thing. And so that voice is loud. But when we do close our eyes and do find a, a place where we can be safe and, you know, like our bedroom at night or, you know, on the beach for relaxation and we do, uh, you know, change our breathing from the strong, fast breathing we've been doing and, and we do let our muscle tension release and all of a sudden that ego voice gets quieter or actually there's actually periods of silence even now where it's not yelling at you. And then there's this other voice that starts to emerge, and it's very quiet, and it's like a whisper, and it feels really sweet and loving, and and you can't hear it when the ego voice is so loud, but when you get out of that state, that beta brainwave state, that nervous, anxious, confused, hyperactive state, all of a sudden this higher self voice starts to emerge, and and sometimes you can aid and abet it, you know, you can you can bring, evoke it, you can bring it out much sooner, but uh, eventually, on the way down to sleep, you know, when you finally do let go, there is a moment, at least, on the way to sleep where it comes through, and, and you can learn to hang in that moment and, and really have access to that part of you that is not judgmental, it's not controlling, it's real, and it sees you for all the beauty that you are, including all the flaws that you have, and and really can give you the only truly honest observation of who you really are that you could possibly ever get. All right, so that's uh, Steve and myself from last week's premium audio program provided at FocusedPassion.com and which uh, provides this Sunday webinar absolutely free of charge. Just 99 cents when you subscribe for uh, 3.96 a month, it's pocket change, right? Uh, for the price of one cup of special Starbucks uh, cappuccino or mocha, whatever, uh, you can get a program every week for a month. You get four. Some months you get five programs for less than four dollars, and these are really valuable. We can even, though they're not technically podcasts, they're premium audio programs, studio-quality uh, programs. They're always in a built-in player on your website, along with the six free programs you get when you start with your free account. And uh, they'll always be there. Any program you subscribe to or purchase from the archive will always be in the built-in player, even if you unsubscribe. And there's no contract, so you can unsubscribe, resubscribe, and then unsubscribe again anytime you'd like. And uh, yet there's also a button that allows you to send these to the podcast folder in your iTunes program on your computer, a free download for both PC and, and Mac platforms. So wanted you to know about it, and again, that's what makes all of this possible absolutely free. $0.99 cents program. I think you're worth it. I think Mom's worth it. Why don't you subscribe and give her the – once you download them, you can put them on your iPod or somebody else's iPod share them around. We've got a forward to your friends kind of a gadget where you can send links to programs for no additional charge whatsoever. Check it out. Get a free account anyway with just – 
your first name and an email address at focusedpassion.com. Remember the ED in there. It's the w's.focusedpassion.com. All right, so again, today's topic in the mystery school is too much thinking. And as I've already said, it's not just a matter of a lot of pictures flashing in your mind when you're stressed and anxious and nervous. Or if you're more auditory than visual, a lot of voices in your head shouting at you. Listen to me. How about this? What about that? Did you do this? Did you do that? It's not only a matter of too much. There is this feeling that instead of being our servant, thoughts become our master and we have to do and believe whatever our thoughts tell us to do and believe. This is where the ego really takes over. Forgets that it is a reflection or a component of the higher self, the greater self, the, the true spiritual, the eternal and infinite self, which we can only access and become aware of in quieter moments. So when we have too much thinking, TMT, and we're poked and prodded and driven by our thinking, it's a challenge to access that higher self, to become aware of the fact that you're not simply these thoughts or these emotional feelings. You are the awareness that can stand behind or stand above the the meta-awareness. That's what metaphysics is, meta as a suffix, means beyond or behind, right? Standing outside, looking in like Timothy Leary, or standing above it all, getting the big picture. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that, especially when you're suffering from too much thinking, to be able to zoom out, to take a step back, or to rise above it all, to detach and become aware What do you become aware of? That you're more than your thoughts and feelings and that I have choices. I I can choose all of these thoughts in varying degrees. I can choose some. I can give more merit to these and, and less credence to those. I can consider thoughts I haven't even considered before and put all of these on hold. If only I could slow this mess down. If only I knew how to do it, and then secondly, could remember to do it. (laughs) When I'm really stressing with too many thoughts and feeling a victim of my thinking and a victim of my feelings. Look, we all know people who think they are what they own, right? This is a very good example, and maybe it's overworked, maybe it's trite, but it's just so darn good I need to use it again. You know you are not your material stuff, and yet many people act as if they are their stuff. I am my car. I have to drive a nice car. I have to make an impression. 
and you get in that car and you drive around like you are the car. That's pretty sad, but that's a lot of people. Hey, Bill, you don't want to be seen driving that jalopy, do you? Well, why not? It's perfectly good transportation. Gets me from A to B. Yeah, but not in style. I mean, what are people going to think? you got to drive an ostentatious gas guzzler <laughs> to make an impression of, of affluence. Present yourself as a successful person. Why do you have to present yourself as somebody you're not based on what you obviously are not, some property that you own, or the house you live in, or the clothes you wear, or even who you associate with? These are the trappings of a material existence. And I would say to some extent we're all victims of this kind of thinking. It's just a matter of how forgetful are we? How, how carried away do we get in this regard? So I think you should have good transportation. I think you should look nice and have nice clothes. I hope the roof doesn't leak. I wish you wonderful uh, material possessions. But I also hope you are aware that that's not really who you are. Well, let's go a little further with this. Your possessions are part of your existence. Your car, your clothing, your house, your friends, uh, your job, your career that you've dedicated your life to, and so on. Well, in the same way, your physical body is a very important part of your appearance. Your physical body is a vehicle or an instrument that you use to exist in this world. And yet you're more than your physical body. The physical body is part of who you are, but there's more. There's thoughts and feelings. And yet I would argue you're not simply your thoughts and feelings any more than you are your body or your car, or your property, or your money, or your jewelry, or your, who you know, you see. Yes, you have a body. Yes, you have thoughts. Yes, you have emotional feelings. But you're more than all of that. You are the awareness. You are the consciousness. These are really the only two words that we have at our disposal in the English language that even approach or approximate the higher, loftier, more complete or expanded notion of what it means to exist, to be sentient, to be conscious, to be aware. There's technically some differences between consciousness and awareness but we'll save that for another program and another time we'll split those hairs for the purposes of today's program it's enough to know that you can become conscious of that is aware of this problem of too much thinking and you can learn to manage it and rise above it and be better at having your thoughts serve you rather than 
drive you or poke you and prod you into making decisions you later regret, right? Into messing with priorities and getting it all screwed up in missing opportunities and forgetting this or that or the other thing because you're driving around in first gear at 5,000 RPMs all day long not knowing you've got a clutch in a gearbox and you can actually go faster with less work on the engine, lower RPMs, and yet go faster by shifting up. And lots of us don't get into those higher gears. We never get to overdrive. We're still, imagine, (laughs) if you drove around all day long in first gear, that engine just screaming. You get pretty horrible mileage and burn out your engine pretty quickly. Well, the mind is the same way. You just can't run it in those lower gears all the time. If life becomes dangerous and there's an emergency, uh, you really are under uh, clear and present danger, uh, then in the short term, the ability to multitask, to think of many things at once, can save your life. But over a long period of time, it'll burn you up like a shooting star. It may be bright, and it may even be beautiful, but it's not going to last. You're going to burn up pretty quickly running at that speed, at that level, poof, like the shooting star. Uh, Or there's all kinds of other allegories, burning the candle at both ends, and pretty soon there's no candle at all. So here's what you need to know to get a handle on TMT, too much thinking. That it's a product of stress and anxiety, which by any other term, at some point we really need to unmask it, call it what it is, which is fear. All fear is fear of things unknown, even the fear of real danger. Mostly when we feel in danger, there is no danger. We might create a danger by being afraid that there might be a danger, but the vast majority of what we experience as dangerous is simply confusion. All right. Confusion born of not understanding what's going on. All fear is fear of the unknown. Even in a really dangerous, truly dangerous situation, it's what you don't know about the danger that's the most frightening. The more you know about a danger, the less dangerous it becomes. And most of what we fear, as I say, is not dangerous, even if it has the appearance of danger, like the fear of flying could appear to be dangerous to you from 35,000 feet looking out that little window and maybe mentally reviewing pictures in your mind that you saw on a TV newsreel of airplane crashes or something, you start dwelling on that stuff, you can forget that you're actually safer in the airplane than you were driving to the airport. You're in greater danger in a strapped into the back seat of a Volvo with 
airbags all around you driving through a cornfield in Kansas than you are in an airplane. It's a very, very safe place to be. You're not going to fall out of the sky any more than an ocean liner is going to suddenly drop to the bottom of the ocean. It's supported by the air the same way the boat is supported by the waves. You're not going to fall out of the sky. You're very safe. I'd have to acknowledge that given the way airlines are being run these days with less and less government oversight and regulation, we're in greater danger than we used to be. And the air traffic controller, somebody might need to wake him up before you can land, but that's another issue. Relatively, you're much safer in the airplane. So this is the fear of, of uh, again, the unknown. It might appear to be dangerous, but it's real important to understand anxiety and stress and worry and doubt and nervousness and, and apprehension as euphemisms for fear, and that all fear, whether it's danger, imaginary danger, or just things unknown, is in fact what you do not know. And at the center, here's part two, very important, at the center of everything unknown stands you, the self. And the reason we're stressed and confused by not knowing the self is we're looking in the mirror at a reflection of who we are and we believe that the reflection is the truth of who we are without realizing that in fact it's merely a reflection or an appearance of your higher self an invisible, unseen energy body that is extended or reflected into physical form and takes an ego that identifies with the separated part that doesn't really know very much about the harmonious and unified higher self or true self and tries to think its way out of the box, often making things worse. Right, And many times, again, we honor thinking and, and to be logical and reasonable and rational is a good thing. But too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. And TMT can be a bad thing, too much thinking. So if it is the result of anxiety, stress, fear of the unknown by any name, and the more anxious and nervous we are, the more thoughts we have demanding our attention. Listen to me. What about this? What about that? Did you do this? Did you do that? Well, what will other people say? Well, what do you think they'll think about your thinking about their thinking about what they'll think if you... I mean, it's maddening, isn't it? So what's the antidote? The antithesis. How do I move away from that? You relax. You have to convince the brain that you're safe in spite of what you don't know as a way to know the unknown. You must face the fear, breathe into it, create and sense a feeling of letting go in your body, whether it's a formal meditation or contemplation 
or whether it's something you learn to do in the moment, on the job, with your eyes open. It could be as simple as a single, slow, deep breath. Ah, hold on. And then maybe a second or a third, slow, deep breath. You know, inhaling through the nose so that you get that oxygen into the bloodstream right away. And then as you exhale, ah, feel the letting go. You may have been exposed to the word nirvana. You may have heard the word nirvana, not just the rock band from the early 90s, but this Eastern concept of heaven called nirvana. Well, that's a Sanskrit word that's actually thousands and thousands of years old. And essentially, the best translation to English of nirvana is a sigh of relief. This is nirvana. Ah, boy. Ah, letting it go. (laughs) Right. Now you say, I'm too busy to do that. You're too busy not to do that. Because the stress and the tension and the multitasking, in most cases, unless you're in real danger, degrades and debilitates your performance. Relaxation, the sigh of relief, nirvana, (laughs) the antidote to TMT, too much thinking, actually, by slowing down your thoughts, fewer thoughts, putting them in a row, one thing at a time, and sort of standing back and getting the bigger picture, will improve and enhance your performance. You do better when you relax. It's a little counterintuitive. And we first proved this about 40 years ago with sports psychology, where we found out that if people didn't care about their, in this case, athletic performance or physical performance, if they were nonchalant or apathetic, it just wasn't important, they did poorly. But if they tried too hard, if they became desperate, determined to a fault, their performance was degraded. And so it's a matter of finding peak performance at the top of the bell curve. If you don't care at all, you're not going to do well. If you try too hard, you're not going to do well. You need to do what every athlete even high school athletes now know to do, shake off that muscular tension. All right? Sometimes you'll see an athlete literally shaking it off or these little nervous habits. So you see it a lot in baseball because it's such a slow game. I was talking to a client about this yesterday on the telephone, uh, how baseball players... When they come up to bat, they're hitting their cleats, their shoes with the baseball bat and stomping around and digging into the box. And the catcher's pounding his glove with his fist. And the 
pitcher is messing around with the rosin bag and throwing the ball into his glove two, three times before this elaborate wind-up. What are they doing? They're trying to shake it off. Shake what off? The muscular tension that is the way we carry stress, which promotes too much thinking and scattered attention. And also, as I said at the top of the program, a tendency for the thoughts that result to be our master rather than our servants, poking us and prodding us, often in wrong directions. You see, we need to, just like sports psychology, find the peak at the top of the bell curve, find that balance by moving in the other direction, letting go, breathing, re- relaxing. This is meditation contemplation, introspection. I mentioned our sister website, Focused Passion. That's another term we use for it. Going to Paradise. That whole premium audio series is called Finding Yourself in Paradise. Paradise, uh, brain researchers call it the alpha brainwave level. My business partner, Steve, came up with a term I love, narrow awake. There's wide awake. Too much thinking is super wide awake. So wide, <laughs> you're carrying all of these thoughts. Yeah, that's too wide awake. But there is a place between wide awake and sound asleep. A kind of a narrow awake place of focused passion, concentration, attention that we attain by moving with relaxation from wide awake to this balance point, this balance point between awake and asleep, narrow awake, alert, but focused like a a laser beam instead of scattered like a floodlight. You know, a floodlight will light up a big area, but not very bright. Dial it down to a spotlight. Now the light's getting more intense. Focus it down to a laser beam, you can cut steel with the thing. The mind works the same way, and the focus comes from relaxation. A little counterintuitive. People say, concentrate, try to concentrate. Try to focus, and you get exactly the opposite as a result of making an effort. The harder you try, the worse you do. Look at tip-of-the-tongue phenomena. You're trying to remember something, and the more thoughts that come into your mind, the less likely you are to remember. The harder you try to recall what's right on the tip of your tongue, the more likely it is to elude you. But if somebody taught you at some point to take a breath and relax, nirvana, (laughs) the sigh of relief, and maybe say a positive affirmation like, oh, I'll remember in a minute, what happens? You stop trying. You might even move on with your conversation, your thought stream to a different, though related area. And 15 or 20 seconds later, 
pops right into your head. Not as a result of an effort, that would cause too much thinking, but as a result of letting go. Now again, when we talk about contemplation, meditation, visualization, uh, guided imagery exercises, people say, I don't have an hour to meditate. And, you know, I often respond, 35 years of teaching this, I've come across it a lot. I say, you don't have to have an hour to meditate. They say, oh yeah, that's what I was always told. You have to meditate for an hour a day and you have to completely empty your mind of thoughts in order to meditate. And I say, well, first of all, you, you don't empty your mind of thoughts in order to meditate. You meditate to slow down your thinking. You've got, <laughs> you've got the cart in front of the horse here. That's that's what this practice is. So cut yourself a little bit of, a little bit of slack here. Give yourself some room. And secondly, you don't need an hour. You could do it in uh, a single slow deep breath to relax and focus. I can move into that level, this alpha brainwave level, in a single slow deep breath. Now I've practiced it for 35 years, but. You know, a lot of it is just when you don't know what to say, don't say anything. And, and when you don't know what to do, don't do anything. And so when you don't know what to think, don't think anything. But that's a practice. So you may need periods of 10 minutes or 20 minutes once a day to practice. But if you only had five minutes or two minutes, that would help. Uh, uh, it's better than nothing, especially if you do it more times. The practice of anything, even a musical instrument, it's the skill is developed by the number of times you practice, not how long you practice. So if you practice meditation for five minutes, three or four times a day, you'd get much better, much faster than if you sat down once a week for an hour and a half, you see. So it's not how much time you practice, it's how many times you can practice breathing and relaxing at a traffic light while you're waiting for the light to turn from red to green. You don't have to close your eyes either. Just look at the traffic light so you know when it does turn green. And then soften your gaze. Look through it and past it. Just keep your attention gently fixed in a single direction. Soften your gaze. Then take a breath. Slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, uh, let go of muscular tension. Create and sense a feeling of relaxation. Oh, the light's still red. Take another slow, deep breath. Ah, and as you exhale, feel the letting go from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And those ten thoughts demanding your attention just went down to six thoughts. 
when you took the second breath, it went down to four thoughts. Maybe just an inner dialogue, a couple of thoughts, a little ping-pong game back and forth, a little inner dialogue. And the space between the thoughts, the gaps between the thoughts grow a little bit bigger, and the thoughts get softer and gentler. They're more like suggestions instead of demands or commands. Now you get a feeling that they're sort of being offered for your approval or your perusal instead of this frenetic demand, you must do this, oh no, you've got to do that. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) You don't have to do what your thoughts tell you to do. You don't have to believe what your thoughts insist you should believe. You can change your mind. You know the phrase, I changed my behavior. You've heard the phrase, I changed my mind. You can even learn to change the way you feel emotionally. Even though most people don't say, I changed my feelings. Because they don't know how. They're victims of their feelings, just like they're victims of their thoughts. And victims of other people and victims of circumstance with some great quotations quotable quotes about in fact uh, Napoleon often gets credit for saying uh, circumstances don't make me I make circumstances you see most people are victims of circumstance And they will argue vehemently for how powerless and helpless they are, as if there is some advantage to convincing you of their helplessness and their powerlessness. There's nothing I can do about this. And of course, it's very depressing. And a lot of it is just born of, if I'm a victim of my thoughts and a victim of my feelings, if they're done to me, That's what happens when you think of yourself as a reflection. You get confused and think the reflection is who you are. This is the story of Narcissus and the personality disorder known as narcissism that we see in so many of our ruling class business executives and government leaders and, and show business people. Uh, Many of them are driven, not by anything healthy, but by a personality disorder called narcissism, a sense of superiority that often comes from being really, really traumatized as a child. And when Freud first described this as narcissism, he was pulling on an old Uh, Greek or Roman myth, Uh, uh, the story of Narcissus who fell in love with his reflection in the pool. And many people think, oh, well, yeah, the narcissist is an egotist. He loves himself. But the truth is he doesn't know himself. He fell in love with a reflection believing his appearance, the reflection, 
is who he is. And this is at the root of anxiety and too much thinking. The belief that we are those thoughts and that we are victims of life, that we are the ego, that we truly are the roles that we choose for ourselves and the character that we play, the masks and the costumes that we get up and put on in the morning when we go out into the world and often don't create for ourselves or allow ourselves enough peace of mind to reorient and say, you know, that's just a character. I've been, that's just a lot of BS. I've been doing this all my life. I've been so concerned with impressing other people and creating an appearance that I have forgotten that I have never really known who I truly am. And unless and until you get this straight and discover the truth of who you really are, which is love in all of its qualities, kindness, to be moral and ethical. Like, what has happened to morality in America? I don't mean religious morality. This phony baloney rules. I'm talking about heart-based, you know the right thing to do. Right? To be of service, to help other people. There's so much emphasis now, especially on the right, but also on the left, about self-interest, that we forget that it's in our self-interest to serve the community interest. That's, <laughs> that's how mixed up we are. See? If, I serve, if I'm a community organizer, I must be a socialist. Or, <laughs> or some kind of commie. Uh, to, to believe in freedom, you've got to be selfish and self-centered and egotistical and arrogant like Donald Trump. Concerned only with the self. I don't think so. And while many people may find this narcissism and this arrogance and this sense of superiority and elitism uh, appealing, Many Americans love narcissists, right? There's a big backlash that's developing, especially among young people. And young people are identifying not so much with their parents, but with their grandparents, the baby boomers. You know, the old hippies. They had to skip a generation. It's the hippies' grandkids that are becoming moral and ethical. Their kids rejected all that hippy-dippy stuff and became hedge fund managers and needed to make millions of dollars. Well, having money is nice. There's a freedom that goes with it. But if you don't know the truth of who you are, you're sitting in your mansion counting your money and you're just as miserable as you were before. Too much thinking based on stress and tension and identifying yourself as the reflection, the egoic self. And again, if you're, 
ever in real, true, clear, and present danger, the multitasking will be there. The false self will step forward. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's in charge of your survival. This identity that you are separated will serve you if you're in real danger. But that almost never happens. You're not in danger in spite of what the politicians are telling you about terrorism. Look, one guy, Osama bin Laden, executed by the government of the United States of America, and already people are saying, can I take my shampoo with me on the airplane now? How about nail clippers? Can I stop taking my shoes off in the airport? Can we bring the troops home from Afghanistan if Al-Qaeda's not there? And and, and the, 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 the war hawks, even, that say we should stay and that there's fewer than 200 Al-Qaeda left in that part of the world. So what are we doing there? Bring these hundreds of thousands of troops home. And while we're at it, maybe the American troops in Germany and Japan and the Philippines and South Korea could come home too. And we could use them to fix the roads and the bridges and the trains. So how did we get so confused? Why is the world in such a mess? It's the, it's, it's the result of this identity crisis. One of the symptoms of the false identity in the material world is too much thinking. So you got the antidote? If it's the result of stress and anxiety, then the antidote is to feel safe and relaxed. To close your eyes, to breathe, and to feel the letting go. And if you're on the job and you can't close your eyes, then just gently fix your attention. You could look at the wastebasket. It doesn't matter what you put your attention on, but gently practice this at work. Gently focus your attention on a particular object. Soften your gaze. Look past it. Defocus. Then... Take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling through your nose, filling your lungs, and as you exhale, thirdly, release muscular tension, muscles relaxing and unwinding, and those thoughts will go from 8 or 10 or 12, demanding your attention, to 6, to 4, to just a couple of thoughts, And the gaps between the thoughts will get bigger and you'll begin to enjoy real peace of mind and your cognitive mental nature will be your servant, not your master. Okay? Hope that makes sense to you. Let's go to the questions and comments. Check the phone lines and see if we have any hands raised. And if you'd like to talk on the phone, press star 2. I see at least one hand up. So let's uh, do some of the Q&A on the text side real quickly, and then we'll go back to the telephones. Real time, I've got five minutes after the top of the hour. 
So uh, let's see. Let's start with Valerie in Orange County. She says, we're out here, Michael. Mahalo for being here for us. Thank you, Valerie. And mahalo to you for being likewise. I need you. You need me. <laughs> it's very, very nice. It's a privilege to be able to do this every Sunday and to have these Internet tools, computers, and this conference call system and modems and Wi-Fi's. It's all so cool. Uh, Alan is with us, and he's still in Bangladesh. Alan is my wife's cousin, and I'd like to think a dear friend of mine, and uh, he's listening. Let's see, in Bangladesh, I think it's about 11 or 12 hours. No, it's more like 14 hours difference. Don't make me do the math. Alan says, what is it that drives the mind to distraction? Is it simply our survival instinct in overload, or is there something else? He says, I suffer from the noise of distraction like everybody else. And getting to the one voice among all that noise has been a lifelong focus for me, and I'll continue to get better at it, but I have to admit that uh, I hoped it would have been easier. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it'd be nice if it were easier. But I guess easy is not the promise of uh, living in this world. Though what drives us to distraction is stimulus, the physical stimulus that comes in through our senses, but also the internal stimulus of I think these great existential questions that most people don't pursue, and even if they do, they don't spend significant amounts of time. And I think it's only as we get more experienced, get a few miles uh, under our belts, that we allow ourselves the time and pull on that experience. I really think the failure to to ask the questions, who am I and what am I for, why am I here, where am I going, what's important, what are my values, what are my ethics, you know, Christians, why am I a Christian, Jews, why are you a Jew, Muslims, why are you a Muslim, most people have no idea, and they don't read the books. And they don't have time. You know, a really dedicated religious person might swing through church or synagogue or temple once a week, make an appearance, show off their new hat, and uh, that's it. Now we go back to this. I mean, our whole lives are a distraction, I think. For most of us, most of the time, living is a distraction from the reason we're here, which is to know ourselves. And we're so busy trying to keep our heads above water and avoid disaster, economic, personal, financial disaster, or emotional disasters born of romance and families and friends. And I, I just don't think most of us have created the priorities, created the time necessary to do the most important thing in life 
to discover and develop who you are, to know yourself. And so nothing's going to work if we put that off. Like, oh, that's an interesting endeavor. I'll have to get around to that one of these days. In the meantime, I'm working on career or trying to get out of school or trying to make my marriage work or whatever. What am I going to do about these kids of mine? So we have those distractions as well. Uh, let's see, who else? Uh, Robert Fiegel's with us in Irvine. Says, Aloha, Michael. He's enjoying the class. He says, it's really simple, but we miss it. So busy running around and looking for happiness outside of herself when the true happiness is inside us the whole time. That's it, Robert. He says, thanks for enlightening my day. Have a magical week. And uh, Judy Kraft in Arcadia is with us today as well. She says, aloha, Michael, great class. And it works. I've been practicing. Thanks for sharing. Judy was one of the people that came to our first mindfulness retreat here on Maui in February. And um, it was great seeing her again. It had been a number of years since I'd seen Judy. And she had a great time. And it reminds me to mention that our next Maui mindfulness retreat is coming up in October. And it's limited to 10 people, and we have spaces. So it's certainly not too late to get your reservation, and this is a good time to start making plans. This is a week-long, six-day, all expenses paid. You, you, You write one check, and everything's covered, all of your meals, everything except transportation, air transportation to get here, ground transportation, That's your responsibility. But once you show up at the door, we take care of you. We feed you incredible meals. We provide instruction and guidance. We even went on a little field trip one day, went to the beach, went to the seven sacred pools. But most of all, we practiced mindfulness. And that's paying attention to the things we're talking about and realizing that most of our thoughts are, in fact, distractions. And we can let go of the distraction and pay attention to what's happening in the moment and do it without judgment. What's the mind doing? It's seeking control, it's seeking approval, and it's constantly judging things as right or wrong, good or bad. If you gave up the need to control other people and control circumstances, be more accepting of the truth of the situation you find yourself in, If you gave up the need to petition other people for approval and acceptance, and you stop judging things as right and wrong, and just admit that you don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, this thing that looks so horrible could be a blessing in disguise. And this thing that looks wonderful could be a curse. Stop judging. The problem is in the judging. What do I do instead of judging? Take a step back. Breathe. Zoom out. Pull back. Ah, now now we're starting to see things in context. You know, imagine getting one piece of a jigsaw puzzle and trying to figure out the jigsaw based on that one little piece. 
Oh, you say you have four or five pieces. Great. There's only 9,000 more that make up this puzzle, but you've got four or five pieces. You may even have six or ten pieces of a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, and you're going to figure it out <laughs> by using logic to discern the details. Not going to happen. And your life's not about the world around you. It's about the kingdom within. See? We're all, the only thing we're here to do is to know yourself so that you can offer that in service to other people. Then our commerce, our careers, our jobs, the way we earn income, ideally is expressing something that we love to do because that's part of learning about who we really are. Do what you love to do. Anyway, hope you can come in October and join the people that are going to be here in Nahiku, Maui, right on the shores of the Pacific Ocean. And it's uh, truly a beautiful, beautiful place and a life-changing week. Six days in paradise. The Maui Mindfulness Retreat coming up October, starts October 9th of 2011. For more, inform, more information, you can go to either one of our websites, theagelesswisdom.com or focusedpassion.com and click on the Maui Retreat button. Check it out anyway. Go to the telephones and... Uh, we have Patricia in Los Angeles with us. Hello, Patricia. You're in the Mystery School. Hi, Michael. Um, Hi. Thanks for calling. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. I, you know, all the you've been talking about. I've been, you know, ever since I've been going to your classes, I, I think I understand more now than I did the whole time when I was going to your classes. I, well, I understand it more. I and, think uh, I do too. <laughs> I guess we all, you know. Yeah. We think we know, we think we're knowing then, and then I guess we get, we learn more as we go along. Yeah, it's a good reason to stay humble and focus on what we still don't know rather than, you know, get yeah. stuck and, on what we do know. And I don't, I don't know if I could ever know the reason of anything, but I know that uh, this is what I feel inside. And uh, the breathing. Whenever I get really start to get uh, anxiety or nervousness or really shook up, I just take deep breaths, and that really helps. Yep. And being mindful, I've been doing that a lot. I'll go outside, you know, uh, take a walk, and just look at the trees and hear for the bird, hear what I can hear, you know, things like that. It's just, we did an uh, exercise at the Maui retreat where we just watched the wind play in the trees. Oh, yeah, that's neat. The the leaves just uh, wish around. Yeah, and this is like yeah. a rainforest. So uh, where we were sitting was in a clearing in this yurt on this big lanai, this giant deck around this yurt. So it's sort of open and clear all around us, but you could see, you know, 100 yards away and then in all directions from there. All of these different trees and bushes, and uh, as the winds on this one particular day, the wind was really strong, 
and uh-huh. would play through the leaves of the trees. Each tree made its own sound. In oh, each wow. Bush. The symphony, huh? It, you got it. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Tree symphony. Yep. Uh, tree no, bush symphony. And then the birds were singing and the waves were crashing. and All these sounds. The whales were leaping. and It was oh, pretty wow. incredible. Yeah. That must have been great. Imagine going to paradise to learn that the real paradise is within. Yeah, you can't, but you can't appreciate all that unless you do go within and, you know, know this. Because, yep. yep. you know, people are so distracted now and have so much stress on them, the way the money situation is. And uh, companies are becoming more, to me, they're becoming like, <laughs> my company's like Nazis or something, you know. They're acting like the company is God or, you know. It's just, fear. Imagine believing in money and power, and the more you get, the more you need, because you find out that it's not the end-all, it's not the be-all, and it's not making you happy. Well, they're acting like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. It's just like they want to to scare us, you know, making the employees be afraid and nervous all the time. Yep. I think that's a good thing. I was thinking they don't know anything about management. Of people. That's the weak link in most businesses, whether they're small, just a few employees, or whether they're huge, tens of thousands of employees. Generally speaking, the weakest link is people management, Uh, not knowing how to motivate people, how to treat people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny. If we just look at animals, Um, For many years, human beings tried to break the spirit of an animal. Yeah. How do you get a wild horse to carry a rider? Well, you just put a bridle in its mouth, right? Keep them down. And you break them. You just break their spirit and show them who's master. And uh, the same thing with lions and the zoos or the circuses and there's a great movie that came out a couple of weeks ago, Water for Elephants, where oh, you, can, wow. you can see the two approaches to animal training. You know, the old school. Oh, that's which is, kind of seen that with elephants. Yeah, they poke them with these sticks and everything. Yeah, and they scratch them with, uh, with hooks. Yeah, but we find that it's much better to treat an animal with affection and reward for their good behavior rather than punishment for the bad behavior. Same thing with parenting. We can either limit ourselves to punishing a child that misbehaves or rewarding a child when they do well. And you need a little bit of both, but, you know. Letting them know that they're doing good. Yeah. Yeah, let them win once in a while. Yeah, and even if they haven't done anything, just tell them you love them because they're there, you know, if you just love them, you know, they'll be wanting to make you happy after that. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) So I think it's a little more difficult, whether we're talking about uh, uh, training animals. Oh, yeah, it is. Or parenting or or managing Uh, business. I don't believe wild animals should be tamed. I think you should leave them alone, let them be. Well, there's certainly uh, merit in that argument. Well, Uh, you know, because they... That's what they are. I, I mean, it would be nice. I know that the world is changing, and, and they have to have room for people's farms and stuff. So, you know, the animals are losing out, the wild ones. Yeah, there's also an argument, though, that the animals that are 
domesticated like your basic a dog, uh, an animal that if you released it into the wild could not survive like a dog you can't just turn a dog um, loose. a cat might be able to cats could they're more likely to oh they might but a, except that a, they're small <laughs> the, the value of training a dog is that the dog enjoys pleasing you yeah that's and yeah, if the dog true. can do something to please you, it makes the dog happy. Well, dogs are also social, and they stay in packs usually. Well, it, they in in the in their canine nature, they're descendants of wolves and such. Yeah. But domesticating dogs over millions of years, yeah. You know, you couldn't turn your little toy French poodle loose into the wild. No, die. It wants to be on your lap. <laughs> it, it wants company. Yeah, so there's there's some value in training animals, but I agree with you. There's much to be said for leaving them alone. And, yeah, and the I, wild ones. I'm talking about like elephants and sure. reptiles and you know animals in the jungle and forests. See the movie Water for Elephants. Yeah, I'd like to. It's a movie that you could see on YouTube or. No, no, it's... It'll, uh, it'll come out on TV? In eventually, but right now it's in the theaters. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I will. All right, thanks, Patricia. You have a parting shot. Oh, yeah, I say just um, relax your mind, you know? I think, you know, when you try to enjoy things, uh, things that you see, like the sky, the sunset, the trees, think about them. Think about what they are growing on the earth like you are. Nature is a balm, a salve. For it the relaxes spirit. you. It sure does. Yep. Oh, Thanks, Patricia. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. Happy Mother's Day, too. All right. Well, we've just got a few minutes and uh, not time to do a lengthy relaxation exercise. But, again, it's so easy to do. I'll try and save more time in future programs because I'm trying to reduce the length of these. Sometimes I get so enthusiastic and so excited, and then I end up shortchanging us when it comes to the visualization exercise on the end. But keep in mind that there are three elements to any relaxation exercise, whether you call it meditation or contemplation or visualization. First, close your eyes. Again, if you're on the job and can't really close your eyes, because people would think you're asleep, you can just gently fix your gaze and then soften the focus. That'll reduce the stimulus. Secondly, some slow, deep breathing, followed by allowing your body to find a natural breathing rhythm, but initiate it with two, three, four, slow, deep, diaphragmatic, like they taught you in yoga class to breathe, right? And thirdly, as you exhale in particular, create and sense a letting go feeling. You can do that in 20 seconds. You can do it three times in a minute. If you only have three minutes to practice, practice for three minutes. It's you're 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 jiving yourself if you say, "Oh, I I just don't have time to do this." You don't have time not to do it. 
uh, five minutes, ten minutes of relaxation every day will organize your day in such a way that you'll be so much more efficient. You'll make fewer mistakes. All the stuff you have to redo, you won't have to redo because you did it right the first time. You'll see opportunities and solutions that would have escaped you if you hadn't done that little relaxation exercise. So every minute you spend practicing relaxation throughout your day is going to bring you back several minutes saved in the long run. Multitasking only serves you over short, brief periods. Then go back to deep relaxation, feeling safe. Eyes closed, some slow, deep breathing, followed by natural, easy breathing, and feeling the letting go in your body. Again, a happy Mother's Day to everybody. I appreciate those of you who were able to join us live today. Thank you if you're listening to the podcast. And remember the premium audio program. The series is Finding Yourself in Paradise. Steve Snyder and myself every week. Only 99 cents when you subscribe. Without a contract, unsubscribe at any time. Just three ninety-six a month at Focused Passion. And while you're there, check out the Maui Retreat. Focused Passion, the W's dot FocusedPassion.com. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.